Over the years, when people have asked of our leadership team, what do you attribute the health and the growth of First Christian Church to? Unanimously, our first response is prayer because we are privileged to be part of a faith community where prayer is our first response rather than our last resort. Richard Foster says, quote, to pray is to change. One of the core values here at First Christian Church is that we embrace change. And we do this for the sake of God's kingdom. We pray weekly as Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Meaning we want God's ways to manifest themselves through us right here in and through our church. This past week was a great evidence of this as hundreds of us gathered together to do just that, to pray. And we are confident, we are confident and expectant for how God will lead us, guide us, provide for us, be enough for us, all from our expression of our trust in Him. Because essentially that is what prayer is. It's us saying that with our time, with our energy, with our hopes, with our questions, with our future, we trust not in ourselves, but you, O oh God. And we do this to build your kingdom made possible by your power and all for your glory. Amen. Good morning, everyone. It's great to have you here today. To those who are here in the West Auditorium, we're very glad to, you're here. For those in the East Auditorium, we're particularly glad you're with us as well. Those watching online, it's all good to have you here as part of First Christian Church today. Uh, let me introduce myself. My name is Wayne, and I'm part of the pastoral team, and uh, we're going to spend some time in Scripture. But before we get there, you'll notice there's something in your program today that I want you to take a look at, because I've got some really good news about what happened last week. Uh, last week, we... Um, asked the congregation to make their way through this form. And uh, the result of that was that we had literally hundreds of people say that uh, they are affirming their commitment to First Christian Church by being devoted together and stepping into that covenant. But here's something that's really cool. We had, catch this number, 234 people who had never made that kind of commitment or covenant to our congregation before make that and in essence became part of the life of our church officially, and we put them on the membership rolls. So would you welcome 234 people into the life of our church officially? And um, I'm quite aware that it would be feasible that some of you weren't here last week, and you say, hey, I want to get in on that. So in that case, we've, putting it in the, we've put it in today's program. We'll do the same thing again next week. Um, that we would like to be certain that we know who is all part of the life of our church. If we're doing life together, if we're on mission together, we need to know who that is. And so you notice there's two sides to this. There's a, a kind of a black and white side, a gray and white side. We would want everybody to fill that out so that we make certain we get good information about you. And then we would invite everybody to choose one of three boxes on the, other, on the colored side. And if you did this last week, you don't need to repeat it, but this is to kind of to catch those who weren't with us, catch them up to speed. You can say, yes, I'm committed to be devoted together for the first time. You, if you choose that on this side, we'll add you to the membership roles. If you could say, I affirm my commitment to be devoted together, then you've, you're saying, hey, I've been part of the life of the church for some time. Or perhaps there are some here today who say, I'm still investigating and still exploring what it means to follow Jesus Christ and particularly what that might mean here at First Christian. You can just let us know, hey, I'm still, say, I'm not quite ready yet and we're very glad regardless of all of that 
that you are with us today and that you would fill that out. Take it out to the Welcome Center in both lobbies after the service today and we'll, we'll get you added to the whole new database, but more importantly to the way in which we as a congregation are relating to one another. I appreciate you doing that and helping us out in that regard. So I'm quite aware that in inviting you to do that, you're going to do that while I speak. I get it. Go for it, okay? All right, that's cool. All right, take your Bibles, please, this morning and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, it's, it's about, well, it's, it's towards the end of the Bible. And ironically, we, I'm actually start speaking about Matthew today, but I'm going to have you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in a few minutes after we do quite a bit of work, uh, biblical work to get to 1 Corinthians 1 today. You know, it's our habit to start each weekend's message with a call to open your Bible, and so I'd invite you to do that. But you're just going to sit on your lap for just a few minutes yet, all right? Maybe you've got it on your smartphone. If you don't own a Bible... In either room, there are Bibles available to you right now, and we'd invite you to take that home as our gift to you. So something very interesting happened to me this week that hasn't happened before. Uh, long story short, I was, I was in Clinton buying groceries. It's a long story as to why I was in Clinton. It was an event and so forth and so on. And I was up there at the local IGA up there, and I had about $20 worth of groceries that I needed to get. And I'm, I'm, I'm making my way through the, you know, the checkout, and, and this young lady says to me, are you, are, you, are you wanting the deal of the day? Well, doesn't everybody want the deal of the day, right? What's what? Yeah, yeah. What's yeah? I, I'm. I, well, let me just back up a little bit. Tell you before before I tell you what the deal of the day is. I'm 58 years of age. I uh, I remember being 48. I remember being 38. I remember being 28. I remember being 18. I think I remember being eight. But I'm 58 years of age. And she says, "Do you want the deal of the day?" Yeah. What's the deal of the day? And he goes, "She says, well, everyone over 62 years of age gets 10 percent off." Oh, that was the wrong question. Was the wrong, don't you think if she if she'd been if she could see what I see, if she could see what I know who I am, she would have said, "Would you like to know about the deal of the day for your parents?" No, she wouldn't know if I wanted the deal of the day. I remember 38, 48, 58, but I do not remember 62. I do not remember that. Hmm. Look at what you got to look at. Take in the culture. Take it in. Take a look at what's really in front of you. Identify and interpret what you see. Isn't that what we do every day? We look around us and we see, okay, that's that and that's that and that's that. And we, and we, it, all in all, it's all about, you know, what's the culture in front of us? And, and we start identifying things and we start naming them. And, you know, there's a, there's a cultural to aspect to everything that comes our way. There's a cultural way in which we manage life here at First Christian Church. And it's different than other congregations. It's not that other congregations are wrong. It's just the way it goes here at First Christian. There's a culture in your home. There's a particular way that your family, for example, or in your house, if you live by yourself, you do breakfast almost every day. There, and it's the way you do it, right? If you go down to the downtown cafe, do you know where that is down on Main Street? If you go in there in the morning, there's a lady that eats breakfast in there virtually every morning, and she eats biscuits and gravy for breakfast every morning. Now, we've had chats before how I'm, that's not part of my culture. That's not part of what I would choose to do. But you know what she does? She orders biscuits and gravy, and then she takes mustard, and she literally slathers mustard over the whole thing. I would take it from your response today, that's not your culture. 
That's not, that's not mine. You know, there, there, there are, wherever you go, there's different cultures. Like if there's a specific culture in the place where you work. It's different than even your competitors', competitors culture. You know, that's there. they would operate business a different way. If you go to a different high school, like there's a one culture that's in play at Eisenhower versus another one that's at MacArthur. And again, that'd be different from Meridian and so forth. And then we have, the, on the aggregate, we have uh, different cultures in the U.S. as compared to France and compared to other nations. I was reading this week about a young man who was young at the time in 1998, 24 years of age. He'd never been out of the United States at 24, and he went on his first foreign trip to go spend two years in a place called Tartistan. Do you know where that is? It's a, um, it's a predominantly Muslim republic in the Central Asian corner of Russia. When he got there, they had only recently been freed from the stranglehold of the Soviet Union, and it was a cultural shock like you can't believe. Like, for example, when in the first week he was there, he, he was introduced to a special drink called kumis. His buddy said, it's going to taste a lot like an American vanilla milkshake. Well, it was white, it was frothy, just like a vanilla milkshake, but they lied because the extent of the similarities stopped with how it looked. Turns out it was white and frothy because it was fermented mare's milk. What's that? Well, <laughs> think about this. Think about this culture. Some time ago, some entrepreneur said, I've got a brilliant idea for a new business, and you're going to be my first customer. I've got an idea. Let's milk a horse. Let's milk a mare. Let's let the milk spoil, and then we'll try it and see if it's, a mar if it's marketable. And you can be the first customer. I'd say that's not my culture. <laughs> no matter how you much of a delicacy you say it is, that's not me. Nope, not going to do that. Not going to try that. It all depends on how we view life and the things that have come our way, how we see and how we interpret what's in front of us. So to that end, when it comes to the U.S., what are some defining characteristics of our culture? Some things that we believe in around in this nation. You know, we, we believe and live out democracy. We are capitalists. We honor family. We celebrate individualism. We promote freedom of, the, of speech. We are a country that is different than other countries, particularly compared to African or European countries, in that we are a young nation in that regard particularly in regards to how our nation, if it was will, was founded when, when the Europeans and the African-Americans arrived here. And I know there's some debate about how old America is, but beyond, you've got to say that for the most part, as we are today as a Western democracy, we are a young nation. And, frankly, we'll quickly choose a vanilla milkshake over a frothy glass of cold kumis any day, right? I think we're all up for that. That's America. But here's the loaded question for you today. What would Jesus say about our American culture? And then, what would he say to our culture? In other words, what would be the critique he would offer about our culture? The observations he would make about our culture? And then what would he say to our culture? Or, if I could draw, draw the focus in a little more, more narrow, what would he say <clears throat> excuse me, to the culture in your home or within your own personhood with you as an individual? We're going to look at those sorts of questions in the coming weeks. We're going to take a long, slow walk through the book of Matthew. 
Matthew is a detailed biography of Jesus, and its author strives to show how Jesus' ministry and life spoke to the culture where he was situated as a human being. Namely, he arrived in a Jewish culture, and so he spoke and made observations about the Jewish culture of the first century. And then he spoke, and so as he critiqued it, he would then give, observ, give those observations and give instructions as to how the culture should move forward and in many ways how the Jewish faith had lost some of its roots. And we'll give you some more of that in just a few minutes. And I want to say that as we take our way through this long walk through Matthew, you're invited to participate with us in ways that go beyond just weekend messages. Each week, uh, at the beginning of the week, uh, text messages will be sent to you. The first ones will be sent out um, that will tell you uh, some reflective questions that you can use to th- rethink the weekend's message and perhaps even with your small group. I know the small groups are going to be gathering together and using these uh, texts that come out each early in the week, each week, to kind of reflect on the message. And you could get in a small group if you'd like to do that. If you'd like to join a small group, uh, stop by the Welcome Centers today, and they'll be glad to help you out. And then later on in the week, uh, each week, a second text message will come out that will give you um, the passage of Scripture to read in the week ahead. So all you have to do is text First Decatur to 24587, and we'll get you involved in all. Can you guys throw that slide up one more time for us, please? So we're going to get that. If you're already part of our texting service, you don't need to do that. Uh, but uh, if you'd like to join us, we have some 900 people now who get those texts each week. So I'd be glad if you'd join that and participate in that. Or you can always also pick up all the stuff by stepping into the web- church's website at firstdecatur.org grow, okay? But today, what we're trying to do is I'm striving to give you an overview of this biography, and then starting next week, we'll settle into a rhythm of, frankly, moving through Matthew basically chapter by chapter, week by week. It's really important that even as we start today that you understand that the reason I've talked about culture is because Jesus was set, born within a Jewish culture. And um, that means throughout the book of Matthew there's going to be lots of references to Judaism and particularly to a figure by the name of Moses, if you will, um, Moses being the first national leader that, that the Jewish people had and also references to the founder of Jewish faith and the Jewish nation, Abraham himself. So you, as you read through Matthew, and we're going we're to be inviting you to read week by week with us through the book of Matthew, you're going to have lots of references to Judaism, and it's, we're going to kind of unpack that for you because that's, where the, that's the culture that Jesus was in. And frankly, because he was able to speak to his culture, uh, we're going to see how he speaks to our culture as well. So throughout the, the morning here, uh, I want to acknowledge we've had some help from a group of people out in Oregon called the Bible Project people, and um, they've helped us put together something that we're going to let you take a look at so you can grab a hold of at least the first half of the book of Matthew. And so to that end, I invite you to watch the screens as we today unpack the gospel according to Matthew. It's one of the um, earliest official accounts of Jesus of Nazareth. It's about his life, it's about his death, it's about his resurrection. And the book itself is anonymous, but the earliest reliable tradition links it to Matthew, who is one of Jesus' apostles. And uh, he actually appears in the book itself, and you can read where he shows up in the book. Here's what happened. These early apostles, for some 30, 40 years after Jesus' ministry, they taught all the things that they had memorized that Jesus had told them while he was alive. 
And then about 40 years later, Matthew comes along. He puts all those into this amazing tapestry and designs the book to highlight certain themes of Jesus that relate to the culture and to Judaism and how Jesus spoke to it. So if you will, there are three things. First of all, Jesus is a fulfillment of the whole biblical story about God and Israel. He's the Messiah from the line of David. Secondly, the second thing to look for is that he is the new Moses, if you will. He's a new teacher like Moses. And not only that, but he is God with us. He is Emmanuel. And the book is designed, with an, like most books, with an introduction and conclusion. And they are framed around five main portions or teachings within the book. There are big blocks in the, each of those five portions, and we're going to unpack them throughout the weeks ahead. But with the introduction, the introduction sets the stage by attaching Jesus' story onto the storyline of the Old Testament. Matthew opens with the genealogy about Jesus. It highlights he's from Messianic, the Messianic line of the son of David. He's a son of Abraham. He's going to bring God's blessing to all the nations. And after that, we get the famous story about Jesus' birth and how about that birth filled all sorts of uh, prophet, prophetic statements that were made in the Old Testament, that people would come to honor the Messiah from other nations, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, and that Jesus would be Emmanuel. You can see right there some themes immediately in that opening. That um, this Emmanuel, this God with us, he's from the line of David, and he's the new Moses. And so we're going to see how that plays out here. Because they're going to compare him, Matthew's going to compare him to Moses over and over again. Again, setting it in Judaism. Just like Moses. Jesus comes up out of Egypt. He passed through waters of baptism. He enters the wilderness for 40 days. And then he goes up on a mountain to deliver his first major teaching. And throughout all of it, Matthew is saying, you know, Jesus is this new figure that's greater than Moses. He's going to deliver Israel from slavery. He's going to give them some new divine teaching. He's going to save them from their sins. He's going to bring about a new covenant relationship between God and his people. And this business of trying to relate Jesus to Moses explains why in the book there are these five main teachings. There were five main books of the book of Moses, from Moses, and now Jesus is coming along with five statements and five basic understandings like Moses did. So as he steps into that in chapters 4 through 7, Jesus announces the arrival of the kingdom of God. And it's really important because the kingdom is about God's rescue operation for his whole world. It's taking place through Jesus, and Jesus has come to confront evil, especially spiritual evil, and the whole legacy of demon depression and disease and death. And in fact, Jesus has come to restore God's rule and reign over the whole world by confronting, pardon me, by creating a new family of people who will follow him, obey his teachings, and live under his rule. So with that, Jesus begins healing people, begins ministry. He starts forming a community. He takes all those people up on a mountainside or a hillside, and he delivers his first block of major teaching, namely the Sermon on the Mount. And here Jesus explores what it's like to follow him and live in God's kingdom. And uh, this kingdom that he has in mind is so different than the world of that day and even the world of today. How do you live in this kingdom? Well, it's an upside-down kingdom where there are no privileged members, the poor, everybody, the poor, the nobody, nobodies, the wealthy, the religious. Everyone is invited, everyone is, set, is called to turn and to repent and to follow Jesus and join his family. 
And uh, he, he says, I'm not here to set aside the stuff of the Old Testament. I'm not, to re- I'm not trying to negate the Torah. Rather, I'm here to fulfill that all through my life. And I'm here to transform the hearts of my followers. I want them to truly love God, love themselves, love their neighbors, and maybe even love their enemies. And so after concluding this, this teaching then, Jesus then shows um, how this is going to work in the day-to-day lives of people. And so there are nine stories about Jesus bringing God's kingdom into the lives of hurting, broken people. Three groups, three stories in each group. They're about people who are sick, who are sick, they have broken bodies, they're in danger, and he heals or saves them by acts of grace and power. And then right in the middle of those triads, there's a break where Jesus um, calls people to follow him. And Matthew is saying something very important here. That if you want to experience all of the grace and all of the power and all of the goodness of God, you have to make a decision to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so after Matthew shows this, Jesus then says, okay, we're going to see how this is going to play out in the lives of my disciples. And in chapter 10, he says to his disciples, I want you to go out and tell people about me. And so they're sent out. And they are to announce the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, this is what you should expect. That there are going to be some in Israel who accept and offer the, have, the, have this, you know, they'll take it on. But there are some like the leaders who, no, they're not going to, they're not going to follow Jesus. Because to follow him would mean they'd have to re- reject who they were. And as a result, they're going to persecute his disciples and his followers. And that's exactly what happens. And the next section, which we're going to conclude with today, is in Matthew 11 through 13. There are a group of stories how people, they tell how people are responding to Jesus and his message. It's a mixed bag. Some are stories that are positive. Hey, Jesus is the Messiah. Others are more neutral, like John the Baptist or even Jesus' family. We don't know if we've really figured this out, who Jesus is. And then you have Israel's leaders. They're entirely negative. The Pharisees, the Bible scholars, they think he's a false teacher and they reject Jesus. They say he's leading people astray, that he's blasphemous in the way in which he speaks of himself as the son of God. But Jesus is not surprised by all these diverse responses. In fact, in the third block of teaching in chapter 13, Matthew gets together a bunch of Jesus' parables about the kingdom, like a farmer sowing seed on four types of soil or about a mustard seed or a pearl or buried treasure. And these parables are a commentary on the stories that have just occurred in in, uh, chapters 11 and 12. In other words, some people are accepting this with great enthusiasm. Others are rejecting it. But God's kingdom is of ultimate value, and it will spread despite all the obstacles. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the first half of the book of Matthew. So you're going to be invited in the weeks ahead to read through chapters 1 through 13. And as you do, I want you to take note of a couple things. First of all, remember that this is a continuation. Jesus is the continuation and the fulfillment of Old Testament scriptures. In other words, look for how uh, Matthew weaves in Old Testament quotations. And when you get to those quotations, go ahead and look them up. Go back and say, okay, where are they in the original context back in the Old Testament? Because if you do that, you're going to discover some really cool and neat observations. Some, some, light belt, some lights are going to go on. You go, oh, I get it now. Look for that. And then secondly... Pay attention to the types of people who accept Jesus and follow him. You'll see it's usually the people who are unimportant, they're nobodies, they're irreligious. And these are the people who are transformed by their willingness to trust, to have faith in Christ. It's usually the religious and the prideful who are offended by him. Sometimes people like you and me, the religious people, we're the ones in church. 
we might get offended by what Jesus has to say about us and to us. So take a look uh, this coming week. Uh, read through chapter 1, as a matter of fact, this coming week. And um, we'll present another video like that in the weeks ahead so as we get a little closer to chapter 14. In the meanwhile, though, even as we prepare to see how Jesus interacted with the culture around him, I really want you to hear very clearly what this is all about. This is about the Son of God stepping into Jewish culture and speaking to that culture. That culture is, ironically, quite similar to our culture today because um, the first century and the 21st century, in our understandings about how everybody gets to decide truth themselves, it's quite similar in that regard. So Jesus has very direct words for us today. And it's all, the book is all about Jesus. It's about a kingdom he wants in this world, and it's about a kingdom that he wants in you and in me. And this kingdom, as I've said already, is an upside-down kingdom where power and authority and wealth and position are not based on merit or good luck or, or greed. Instead, the power not, doesn't reside there. As a matter of fact, later on in the worship service today, we will say the Lord's Prayer. And as we say the Lord's Prayer, we'll be reminded that where the power resides. The Lord's Prayer says, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. The power and authority belongs to God. And so to that end, it's so foreign to us in our world where we often ask, what's in it for me? Mm -mm. It's what's in it for God and how would God speak into my life? So in this introduction to Matthew then this morning, I would ask you this question. The questions I started with, what would Jesus say about our American culture? And particularly, what would he say to your culture, to the culture in your home and in your life? We're going to take a look at that over and over again in the coming weeks. And to that end, may I remind you that our culture is quite confused at times. Does anybody, I mean, you just watch what's happened in the last 18 months or what's taken place since the president was, you know, inaugurated. I mean, it's just, where are we? Lots of people are asking that, right? Well, can I remind you at the bottom of all of that, it's all, for us as followers of Jesus Christ, it's all about Jesus. It's all about him. How are we going to respond to what he says and to what he did in this world? And to that end, I invite you to open your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. There's the greatest irony of, of the morning, right? Here we are talking about Matthew, and yet we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. That's because in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you have a summation of the entire ministry and work of Jesus Christ as it relates to culture. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, we read this. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. If I could have you just stop right there. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. What's going on there is that uh, we have some people today in our world who will say, oh, I, I won't believe that there's a God or anything until there's a lightning out of the sky that hits me. And I need some sort of sign. And the Jewish people of Jesus' day, the leaders said, we're not going to accept you as the Son of God until you do something absolutely dramatic. And then Greeks, he says, Greeks look for wisdom. Well, in other words, the people who weren't Jewish would say, you've got to prove to us by logic that you're the son of God. And if, it, if you think about it, we have people in our culture today who say, I'm not going to believe there's a God until that lightning comes, or they'll want to argue with us about the merits of Jesus' ministry. But what do we do? We preach Christ crucified. When it all gets down to the bottom line, we have this understanding of Christians that Jesus came into the Jewish culture, yes, but in the long run, he died 
And to Jews, that's a stumbling block. And to the Gentiles, it's absolute foolishness. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Matthew is all about this sort of stuff. That the Jewish folk of Jesus' day wanted some miraculous sign. The non-Jews wanted logic. And in the midst of all, Jesus came and he died. And if you think about it, it's absolutely foolish from a logical point of view, isn't it? Isn't it foolish to say, okay, we're gonna, God's in heaven. He says, okay, I'm going to change and save the world. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my son. I'm going to let him die and that'll change the world. Doesn't that sound like a silly, absurd idea when you think about it? But nonetheless, that's what Matthew tells us over and over again as we read through the book in the coming days. See, the culture of Jesus' day didn't understand his mission, and I suspect the culture of our day doesn't grasp his mission either, namely that Jesus' death and his resurrection literally do save us. It's absurd, isn't it? It's absurd. It's foolishness at first glance. We're going to see why, from the perspective of the book of Matthew in the days ahead, it makes full sense. Yet that is, and that because it is the story of Scripture, it's the story of Matthew, it's the story of God's long-term plan in interaction with humanity and with the cosmos. Now, there are more weeks in the weeks to come ahead. I do invite you to look at Matthew Matthew chapter 1. Would you look at it just briefly right now? It's at the first book, first page in the New Testament. And you're saying, you want, Pastor, you want us to read all that? I mean, look at that. That's a bunch of names. Yeah, I want you to take a look there this week and see if there's anything there you can figure out. We'll unpack it next week because there is a phenomenal story in all those names. Now, I know you're not going to pronounce them all right. Don't worry about that. Just read through it and say, okay, what do I know? What could I learn? Maybe, again, we said there's going to be lots of Old Testament references in this book. Maybe this week you go back and If nothing else, do a Google search and find out a little bit about these people. May I suggest you take a look at, um, shall we say, um, verse 5, Rahab. See if you can figure out who Rahab is. Or um, David, there's one that's in verse 6. That'll get you going. Or one more, Hezekiah in verse 10. All right, just take a look. Go Google it and see 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 what is taking place here. What's the story being told? Because here's the bottom line. This story is going to tell you how Jesus came to interact with all people and how he came to interact with you and with me and our culture. And the question is still this, how will we respond? It's important that we answer that question correctly because our response has eternal consequences. After all, can I remind you what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, if you're familiar with this. What Jesus had to say about responding to what he told people. In Matthew chapter 7, he said this, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. If you want to be wise, Jesus is saying, you better pay attention. Read through, in other words, read through Matthew. What does he say? And how are we going to put them into practice? That person is like somebody who is really wise because the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. When all of the world goes awry, when all of your world goes wonky and bonky all at the same time, if you've got your house built on those teachings of Jesus Christ, you survive. On the other hand, everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice 
is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. If you don't take these words of Jesus and put them into practice, you have no foundation. And that has eternal consequences because he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. In other words, pay attention, listen. See what God says to you through the work, of, through the work of, and words of Jesus in the weeks ahead, and let's see what we can do to make certain that those foundations that we're building are wise, strong, healthy foundations in the name of Jesus. Would you pray with me, please, friends? Lord in heaven, you have given us your word through the work of, uh, in this case, uh, a writer we've named Matthew. We think, Lord, that he was one of the original disciples, but regardless, Lord, we do know that we've got some phenomenal teachings of Jesus here that will um, help us to understand what Jesus would have us do and how he would have us live and how we would respond to the culture around us and even how we manage our own homes and our own lives so that the foundations of our lives would be wise and strong and firm. In the days ahead, God, give us your wisdom to that regard. Give us some diligence to work our way through this series and through this book with some slow, deliberate study, some careful attention to the words of Jesus so that we just don't say, Lord, Lord, and then not do what he says, but instead we say, Lord, Lord, Jesus, you are in charge of our lives, and we will respond accordingly. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.